This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. Good morning, this is Gary Plummer. You're listening to the I Test for Two with Clark and Ira. I'm Clark Judge. Myra Kaufman. And of course, we're both Hall of Fame voters, as I hope you know by now, and joined today, as always, by our Hall of Fame producer, Ian Glendon. But that's not all, because we're joined by a special guest, and the guest I've known for over 30 years, Ira, I don't know how long you've known Marty, but it's been a long time for both of us. And I first met, it's, we're talking about Marty Herney, by the way, a former GM of the Carolina Panthers, and now the executive vice president of player personnel for the very organization he was covering as a beat reporter in the 1980s. That's the Washington football team. And Ira, I, I first met Marty when he was a sports writer for the Washington Times covering the Washington Redskins and the Washington Redskins. How about you when you first met him? Uh, I, I really got to know him, I think, when uh, he went to Carolina and, of course, in the Bucks division. Right. And I, I used to go to Spartanburg uh, every summer and, uh, and got to, got to know Marty pretty well over the years. And, and the Bucks and Panthers were, were very good rivals, bitter rivals, uh, for a good long time there in the, in, uh, in the 2000s. Well, there's nothing bitter about our relationships. We, we've known Marty for a long time. As I said, it's really odd for me and really weird to, to see somebody who was our profession. Then he became the PR director for Washington, then moved out to San Diego, was in the front office there, and then becomes the GM of Carolina, and then comes full circle back to Washington where he grew up in the team. I don't know if he rooted for them as a kid, but certainly the team he covered later. Marty, thanks for joining us. You know, Tom Wolf said you can't go home again. I guess you can. What a long, strange trip it's been, huh? It really is. Life is, uh, life is strange. I've been very fortunate, Clark. I will say this, nice enough to say I was a sports writer. You obviously didn't read my articles. I'm a sports reporter in the past my writing <laughs> my writing wasn't very good so it's uh it, you know I always laugh when people say that because I say well at least they, they probably didn't read much of my stuff but it is it's been wild I mean to, to come back here and I still have family and and a lot of friends in the area and to come back here to the organization that uh I, I started covering and then and then working for and um, you know, Clark, how, how much instrumental Bobby Bethard was in, in me being in the National Football League, and I think about him every day when I come to work. Marty, uh, thanks so much for doing this. Marty, I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, you being reunited with Ron Rivera. Um, and Marty, in general terms, uh, how important is that relationship, Marty, between uh, the, the guy that gets the players, the personnel side, uh, and the head coach, and, and, and how closely did I have to work together? And, uh, and how much of an advantage is it for you, Marty, now in Washington, uh, knowing that you and Ron are on the same wavelength? 
It's critical, Ira. You know that. I mean, it's just uh, being on the same page, being on having the same philosophy, you know, when you look at players, um, not only Ron, but Martin Mayhew here. I've known for 30 years since he was a player in 89 um, with uh, the Redskins. And then he became the general manager at the Lions. And we've known each other very well. Um, Eric Stokes, who I was with in in, uh, Carolina, is our senior director of player personnel. So we all, we all have the same philosophy and, and you have to, when you're looking at players, you're going to have disagreements on individuals, but you have to have the same philosophy as far as the organizational blueprint, how you're going to win football games, you know, where are you going to put your currency? And Ron and I have uh, been on the same page ever since we got together in, in 2011 and we view things very similarly. And, and again, I mean, we'll all disagree on individual players, but the big picture view, I think, is very important to be on the same page with. And Marty, we don't have to look any further than the Super Bowl, Marty, uh, to know what a dominant defensive line can do. And Marty, you built one in Carolina, led by Julius Peppers, your first draft pick. Uh, and Marty, here you are in Washington. And I think it's fair to say, Marty, that um, the obvious strength of this football team is uh, is its defensive line. So in that respect, Marty, you feel you're a little bit ahead of the game? Yeah, I mean, there's no question. That's the strength. And it reminds me of the uh, team that we went to the Super Bowl with in 2003 against the Patriots with with Julius and, and Mike Rucker and, and Chris Jenkins and I think Brenson Buckner. And um, th- this line is extremely strong. And again, it all starts up front. I mean, and that's what, when you talk about philosophically agreeing, we all agree that defense line, offensive line, if you can keep those two areas strong, you're going to be competitive. Obviously it's a quarterback league. You need to have that, that position. Um, but if you don't have an offensive line to protect them, if you don't have a defensive line to put pressure on the opposing quarterback, uh, I don't think you have much of a chance. And, and this defensive line is, is extremely talented and, and definitely is the strength of this team, I think, at this point. Marty, and, and we're speaking with Marty Herney, Executive Vice President of the Washington football team. Marty, um, you mentioned Ron Rivera and how you hired him in Carolina. You're reunited with him now. He's certainly been a successful head coach, I think, last year, even though the Redskins uh, didn't go deep um, into the playoffs. He was considered one of the most successful coaches for what he had to deal with, go through, and what he had to work with. I'm wondering, what attracted you to him in the first place? When you first looked at Ron Rivera and considered the field of candidates back in 2011, what drew you to uh, Ron Rivera? Two things, Clark. I I always say when you look for head coaches, I have a saying, follow the players. And I think that if you do enough research and you look at the comments that players make who have played for him, and in Ron's case, it was in Chicago and in San Diego. And if you look what they say about him, they'll tell you, the players will tell you who the good coaches are. And, and, And I don't, I can't remember one negative comment about Ron when we were doing research on him as far as the players that he coached. The other thing that that really impressed me was is that he was at Chicago, they were running a 4-3 at that time. He goes to San Diego and they're running the 3-4 and instead of changing what they do, he adapted to what they did. And I think that's a, a, a critical personality trait you're looking for in a head coach is, is his ability to be flexible 
to use the the talents of the players that he has. And, and Ron had that. And then when we met with him uh, for the interview, Danny Morrison and myself, I mean, it was just, it was as impressive as I expected it to be. He was very organized and detailed. Um, and he just has a great way of relating to players. He's played, he played the game himself for a long time. And, and he just, uh, he just gets it as we say, and he had that it factor. So um, it really wasn't a hard decision. Earlier, you mentioned uh, Bobby Beathard in San Diego, and I, I was out there covering the Chargers when you guys came from Washington. Bobby became the GM. You worked in the front office there. I'm wondering, um, Bobby, of course, is a, a Hall of Fame uh, contributor. He was uh, inducted several years ago. But I, I'm wondering, Marty, what was the best piece of advice Bobby gave you that you took with you as you moved through uh, your next job in, in Carolina and became a general manager there? Clark, you know, I say it several times a week to myself. And, and he always said, don't make two mistakes by denying the first. And that's something that I really, you know, it has, has lasted with me throughout um, my entire career because, you know, the nature of this business is sometimes if, if you put a lot of currency into a player and, and we all, everybody makes mistakes in this business mm -hmm. and you have to, to admit it and be honest with yourself about it and not make two mistakes by the nine to first. And I think that's the, he taught me a ton of things. I mean, he, right. he, he taught me so many things, but that's the one that really sticks out to me. Marty, you hit a lot of home runs in Charlotte. You did your first pick ever, Julius Peppers. You drafted Keekley, Marty. You drafted Thomas Davis, Ryan Khalil, Jordan Gross. Uh, Marty, you traded for Greg Olson, a third-round pick. I mean, you do that again in a second. But I'm going to ask you, Marty, about a guy you didn't draft. You inherited him, and thank God you did. And that's Steve Smith. Uh, Marty, he's brash. He's a commentator. He's a little bit out there. Uh, but he was a heck of a player, Marty, and this is a very Hall of Fame-centric show. Marty, I was there against the Rams when he caught that 69-yard pass. I think it was the first snap of overtime, yeah, Marty. Um, and what a win for the Panthers, and it helped them get to the Super Bowl. What are your thoughts on Steve Smith, Marty, the wide receiver position? It's tough to get into Canton, but uh, uh, does he have a case to be made, Marty? I was in the locker room in the in the, the Rams Stadium for that play hour because I was I couldn't watch anymore. That <laughs> game was up and down and into overtime and and uh, I can remember when he made that catch and scored that touchdown like it was yesterday. Um, actually, I was at the Panthers when we drafted Steve, but the guy who was on Steve Smith from day one was Jack Bischowski. And if you remember, Santana Moss was in that same draft and he was um, uh, basically a, a first round projection by everybody and actually was drafted by the Redskins. And Jack kept saying, I got a guy in the third round that that will be, you know, is just as talented. I got a guy in the third round and we brought Steve in and immediately he made his impact as a punt returner and then um, obviously became one of the top receivers in, in, in uh, NFL history, in my mind. And the thing that, that just hits you on Steve is that he came every day, like it was game day. I mean, his competitive nature, his drive. Um, he always wanted 
the corners, whoever was was going against him to play with the same motor, the same intensity, the same drive as he did. And he was just, you know, every time he went on the field, he wanted the ball because he thought that it would help the team and we would win the game if he touched the ball. And I had a very close relationship with Steve over the years. I respect him um, as much as any player I've been around because um, he, you know, he, he helped put food on, on everybody's table because of the way he uh, approached the game, the competitiveness he brought, and obviously his skill set and talent um, were, were tremendous. He, he, uh, he, was, uh, he played like a big receiver. I mean, he could go up and get the ball in crowds and, and had the, the acceleration, the bursts, the separation of, of, of a guy his size. So um, I just, I, I, I talk to Steve regularly now and have always, I have kept that relationship with him and uh, have the highest respect and regard for him. And Marty, another star player in, in a different way in Charlotte for you that you drafted was Luke Keekley. Marty, you've been around hundreds of players, hundreds. Um, have you ever been around a, a, a player with better intangibles, football intelligence than Keekley? What, what separated him from the rest, Marty? Instincts, preparation. I saw him on a Thursday night at Boston College when they were playing Florida State, and I think he had about 25 tackles, sideline to sideline, coming downhill. Um, the way he prepared, the way he knew what was going to happen before the ball was snapped, um, the, the way he reacted to it in his instincts. Um, nobody was more committed to to preparation and to play in the game than Luke. And, um, you know, before I left Carolina, um, we had hired him as a pro scout and his office was right next to mine. And I've been in this business a long time, Ira, but every time I walked by that office, I got, I got goosebumps because it just the way the guy approached every day in the stadium. Um, you know, one of those first, first to come last to leave guys, um, and it was really all about team chemistry, how everything came together. Um, again, another guy who really wanted the commitment from everybody around him that he had. And I think that's what makes these guys Hall of Fame players, special players, is that they demand um, from the people around them what they bring every day. And, and Luke was just... Uh, you know, extremely talented, but his preparation was was just um, elite. I listened to that litany of personnel moves that Marty made, you know, in Carolina. I think we should be presenting him for the Pro Football Hall of Fame <laughs> instead of Steve Smith. <laughs> now, you know, it's a pretty darn good list, Clark. Oh, you my know, Clark, good. I'm in Washington, and I followed the Washington Centers when I was little, and I'm kind of like Frank Howard. He had a lot of home runs, but he struck out a lot, too. So. <laughs> Marty, you take me back to 1962. My first baseball game was a twinite doubleheader with the Tigers and the Senators. And Frank Howard certainly was in the outfield. But I went to go see Rocky Calavito for the Tigers. Oh, yeah. And he played one of those two games. And uh, I loved the Rock until they traded him. Then it was an Al-K-Line fan. But I loved going to D.C. Stadium those days. So that was fun. Um, I'm kind of curious. And we're with Marty Herney, the executive VP of uh, – Washington football team of player personnel, but um, Marty, I'm sort of curious. You, you grew up in the Washington area. You, you attended Catholic University 
and you cover the Redskins. I don't know if you grew up a Redskins fan or not, but it must be a, a really weird feeling to go back into a building where you were covering people at one time, and now those people in that business are coming to you and others for information that you once sought from that position. Isn't that kind of weird? It is. It is. It's. It's. Uh, I really haven't been able to put my arms around it yet, Clark. It's. Uh, it, it. It's. I'm really excited about it, and you know. Not not only what was I covering it and, and then around it, but there were some pretty special people. I oh, mean, yeah. oh yeah. When you had the I, I I had was very fortunate and through through my career to be able to observe um how very special people did things from Joe Gibbs, from the makeup of that that locker room with the Redskins. And it had all different kinds of personalities now, all different kinds, but they came together. And, and as far as what we're talking about, the commitment, the preparation, um, and that's why they were so successful. And to see how Bobby and Joe worked together and, and obviously sometimes they disagreed, but when they came out of that office, whatever else they were in, they were on the same page because the whole organization kind of follow suit on that. So I was very fortunate to be around a lot of good teams and a lot of good players here when I started and, and just be able to observe how things were done. And, um, you know, I, I it is, it, it's, it's, it's a different feeling. It's, it's, I did grow up a Redskins fan. Um, and then, you know, I went away from, I went to San Diego in 1990 and haven't been here in 30 years. And yep. You just want to come back so much and continue the success that that uh, they started last year. And um, the way they finished the season last year, you hope that it carries over. I think sometimes a lot of times it does. So um, we've got a lot of work to do, but it's certainly exciting. Well, I remember those days when you were out there covering them and then when you were the PR director because it was at a different location. Now you're at a much uh, more expansive and and, and ultra modern uh, training facility but I'm glad you mentioned one guy there other than Bobby and that's Joe Gibbs because I don't think that he's given the credit that he deserves when people talk about you know, the great coaches of all time um, they'll mention the obvious choices the, the Shulas, the Paul Browns um, and then Parcells will get thrown in there but um, you don't hear Joe's name uh, that often and and you know Lombardi obviously but but Joe Gibbs won three Super Bowls yep. with three different quarterbacks, none of whom is in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. That's a great accomplishment. And I would, I guess what I'm wondering from you, who covered him and then you, you were on the inside with him, what made Joe Gibbs so extraordinary that he's in up there with, or should be up there with the Knowles and the, the Hallises and the Shulas and the Browns, that, that he doesn't get the attention he otherwise deserves? Well, he should be. And, and number one, uh, just a natural leader. I mean, the, the way he um, w would present himself in, in front of the team and the players, he had command of that locker room every day. And, you know, you always, we always use words like organized and detailed, but he had a way to translate his message and bring that locker room together. And again, as I said before, now there were a lot of different personalities in that locker room that he had to bring together as one and he did it every day and he could laugh. And I mean, you can hear, I, I can hear his laugh still. He could laugh and joke around with, with people, but then when he needed to put the hammer down, he put the hammer down. 
And I think the other thing that he really doesn't get enough credit for is being such an off- uh, innovative offensive minded head coach. I mean, yes. you know, the, the one back and u- utilizing his, his personnel and having the H with Clint Didier and, and, and the one back with John Riggins and then um, just everything he did offensively, utilizing the, the offensive line and counter tray. I mean, there are things that, you know, weren't done at that time that now are kind of, you know, phrases that we use very rarely, but Joe Gibbs came up with all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think that he was one of the most innovative offensive coaches of his time. Um, coupled that with just his leadership ability. And I agree with you. He's one of the, the most special coaches in NFL history. Marty, uh, last one from me, Marty. Thanks so much for giving us your time. Marty, given your background, you know, growing up in, in, in Clark and I, uh, our business, Marty, I'm a little curious what your uh, attitude is, your relationship with, with local media. Marty, you and I had a mutual friend uh, in, in Pat Yasinskis. Yep. Uh, as good as it gets as a beat man, Marty, in terms of you can, you know, trust the guy. So, Marty, are you a guy that tends to shut it down during the regular season? Uh, you're not a grandstander by any means. Uh, Marty, what, what's your attitude uh, towards uh, access to, to the local media? You, you guys both know that I'm naturally a behind the scenes guy. You know, I, I'm not an out front type of guy, but I do have learned this Ira, as, as um, I have been in this longer and longer. I think organizations, I think the football side has to have one voice because there, there's so many outlets and so many opinions now that I think that, you know, there's got to be one voice that comes out really for the players more than the public. When, when, when something is said, it's heard by that locker room first. At least that's, that's what, what, you know, I care about. And I think that most of the times that the head coach should be that one voice here, Ron Rivera should be that one voice. I think that it's very important that players hear that the head coach is in charge. So I think it's, it's, it's tricky sometimes because you don't want to be a jerk, but you also want what's best for the organization and what's best for the, the players as far as what message is coming out. And I think that one voice is, is essential these days, and I think that it should be the head coach. Marty, I've got one last one for you too, and it's gratuitous because, as I said, we're Hall of Fame voters. And there's a guy who did not make the cut as a modern era candidate and is now a senior, somebody you know of very well that you covered. That'd be Joe Jacoby, um, tackle for the Redskins, member of the Hogs, uh, terrific player, but didn't make it as a modern era candidate and is now in what we call the swamp or the abyss, the senior pool, which is so deep with qualified players. And Joe Jacoby is one of them. I hope one day he comes out, but I guess I would ask you as someone who covered him and knew him, watched him, evaluated him. What makes Joe Jacoby, in your mind, Hall of Fame worthy? Well, again, think of what he think of how he came in and what he overcame, Clark. I mean, he came as a, a, a basically a rookie free agent out of Louisville, correct? And and yeah, yeah. wasn't even on the radar. I mean, right. I they they really wasn't on the radar and came in and and obviously had elite size for for that area and. Um, obviously much better athletic ability than, than people thought when he came out. Um, and I think that, that 
he and Russ Grimm just, just I think that that they had a form the combination that was just really special um, in that in that era and and even now. And when you look at the importance of left tackles, you look at what he did. Um, you know how much they won, what that offensive line did, and he played a premier position. And I think that you know I, I, those guys tend to get lost sometimes um, that are just overachiever types. Um, but he was as, as talented as they come and was really on probably the best offensive line of, of that time. I mean, yeah. they were the only one that got their own nickname. I know that That's right. That's <laughs> so right. you say the hogs and you immediately go back to, to Washington's offensive line and who was their left tackle, Joe Jacoby. So, um, I do believe he should be in the hall of fame and, you know, sometimes it, it, it uh, as you say, hopefully it comes back and takes longer for some guys rather than others. Marty, you guys are on the on the committee, right? You are. Yes. Yes. In fact, Ira is on the senior subcommittee. So I'm bringing in Marty Her- Herney's argument into the room, Marty. He was nice taking going. notes. The hogs, Ira. Left tackle. <laughs> I mean, one of the best offensive lines in the history of the game. No question about right? it. No question, Marty. And Marty, I'm on the I, contributor. I like how Clark pointed to you, though, Ira. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'm on the contributor committee, which means next year I've got the opportunity now to bring out, well, Marty Herney as the contributor no, no, for what he did. No, let's, let's focus on Joe Jacoby, Clark. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's, let's pick battles we can win. <laughs> okay, that's a deal. Hey, Marty, Marty Herney, thanks so much for the time, and welcome home. Great to have you back in Washington. Thanks, you guys. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. You got it. That was Marty Herney, Executive Vice President of Player Personnel of the Washington football team. And Ira, it is remarkable when you go down the number of players that he placed in Carolina. Holy smokes. I mean, he stocked two Super Bowl teams. He really did. And Clark, he inherited a 1-15 in football team. Yeah. And within two years, they were in the Super Bowl. Yeah, no, that's correct. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa, hear that noise? Oh, a lot of cheering going on. Uh-oh. Marty, take a bow. Now Marty's gone. No, that cheering is for what happened on January 31st, 1988. Yes, it's I was there, and I was there, Ira, and so were you, because it was the Super Bowl at San Diego Jet Murphy Stadium, otherwise known as the Murph. Um, and it was between the Denver Broncos and the Washington football team, then known as the Redskins, that Marty Herney was covering at that time. But anyway, the Broncos had John Elway and Washington had Doug Williams. So it was going to be a mismatch, right? And not so fast, because I think we all know what happened. Washington won in a route. Doug Williams, former Tampa Bay star, by the way, guys, former Tampa Bay star, threw for 340 yards and led his team to 35 second quarter points in a 42 to 10 victory. But Ira, he was, he's certainly worthy. But there was one other player who was worthy, too. And I remember this run as clear as day. And Ian, if you've got the tape, roll it, because Timmy Smith was a monster that day. I want to tell you something about some props. If you plug in there, what kind of percentage he's got. He's thrown for 210 yards, and Smith wide open. 40, 30, inside the 20. Timmy Smith going down the sideline. Timmy Smith is in there. Well, I'm standing up and cheering when I hear that, Ira. He ran for a Super Bowl record 245 yards that day. And 
the interesting point of that whole thing is that Timmy Smith wasn't the starter, wasn't the backup either. Started was George Rogers. He'd gotten hurt. And they had Kelvin Bryant. He hadn't played well before. So they plugged in Timmy Smith, who had played well the weekend before. And you know what happened there. As I said, he ran for 240 yards and 204 yards and became the answer to the trivia question in Glendon, the trivia question. Who is the greatest one-shot wonder in Super Bowl history? <laughs> yeah, that was Tim. And, uh, and Clark, I got another trivia question. Yeah. Um, who was the player taken before Lawrence Taylor in the 1981 NFL draft? It was George Rogers. Oh, what, for New Orleans. It was they could have had Lawrence. Taylor Clark. Yeah, yeah. George oh, Rogers is a good player, but LT was a special player. Um, <laughs> anyway, the thing also what's interesting about Timmy Smith is he went on to nothingness after that. I mean, he Nothing. held out the following year, came to training camp overweight, didn't do much of anything. They let him walk and he was signed by San Diego in um, 1989, signed by San Diego, had a cup of coffee there and they cut him, I think, in training camp. And that was it. He was gone. You know, San Diego was a graveyard, Clark. That's because you were covering them. They were a graveyard. <laughs> Wasn't a graveyard for Marty Herney, though. <laughs> hey, our final thoughts. Any final thoughts? Yeah, just a quick one. Uh, my eyes are on New Orleans, Clark. Now, not just because they're the Bucks' main rival. But yeah. I expect, you know, any day now, Drew Brees to announce and make right. it official that he's retiring. So, Clark, are they going with Jameis Winston? Are they? Uh, I'm very curious to see what Sean Payton's doing down there. Yeah, me too. Me too. Because I, I can't imagine he would unless you've completely erased turnovers from his game. How do you do that, you know, in one year? I don't know. I think that's a real dangerous move. But do you go to Taysom Hill? I, I don't know that that works either. They won with him this year. But I don't know how that plays itself out over longevity. My final, final thoughts are for you guys in Florida. You're one of three states that doesn't have snow. I just heard that in the radio today. Wow. Three states don't have snow, Florida, Georgia, and South Carolina. And some friend of mine, Ron Borges, you know, Hall of Fame voter said, oh, what about uh, Hawaii? I went, Hawaii? No, Mauna Kea, Mauna Le you know, all those volcanoes, <laughs> they have snow at the top. We there were up go. there during the notice me, no. And all 50 states, including you guys, apparently have sub-freezing temperatures. So um, anyway. Come on down, CJ, come on down, baby. I'm we catching, got room a, for you. catching a flight this afternoon. You can pick me up in your uh, the car that you're leasing or giving. Oh, boy. Never that, mind that. <laughs> um, that's going to do it for this session. Ira, tell them where they can find you. At iKaufman76, buddy. Ian, you're on. At IGLEN31. And I'm at, at ClarkJudgeTOF. As usual, if we don't hear from you, it's there. Ira, tell them where they can hear from us. At the eye test for two with Ira and Clark. You get the billing? You get the billing, <laughs> baby? The billing. Yeah. Take that, Marty Herney. You got it, Ira. Anyway, thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. <laughs>